Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Jets beat the Bills in overtime. Punt returned for a touchdown, but that's not the story. First series for the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers in the new uniform. Fourth play, Rodgers goes down, out of the game, carted off the field after he's on the sidelines. Possible Achilles tear, could be out for the season. So, um, go Anthony Richardson. That's, that's, that's it. Tony Katz, 93, WIBC, good morning. I mean, that's just... That's just brutal. Jets fans are starting to think they're Lions fans. Which is weird because Lions fans now think that they're 49ers fans. And 49ers fans are wondering how they get out of San Francisco because they're tired of walking in actual human crap. This is the, 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 the circle of life. This is, this is how it, it goes. Did Indianapolis get in the way? By the way, I got to get to the city market story as 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 well. Um there's a story that the the the, the people that do um good bones. Right? Um the the the, the mother and daughter. I've I've met them before. Absolutely lovely. Not 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 a friendship, but I I I've met them uh Mino Hawk um I forget, I forget her mother's name right. Karen, Karen Lane. I think that's her mother. I think I've got that right. I don't have that wrong, do I? Lovely. Um, they they do the show for HGTV, and they, they do these renovations on, on homes, Bay Tendricks, Fountain Square. And as IBJ has the story, Dave Lindquist reporting, that the city kind of got in the way of the renovations that they were doing. She's leaving the show. She's walking away from it after eight seasons. Um, Says part of the frustrations with the city's uh, Department of Metropolitan Development and the Department of Business and Neighborhood Services. The city's like, no one receives preferential treatment. I'm, I'm sorry, that seems to be an odd argument. What was was Mina Hawk asking for pref- preferential treatment, or was she looking to renovate homes? The quote is, "I've done everything I could possibly do to try to work within the system. It's tricky because in local government, very few people are in charge of a lot of big decisions." It seems for a long time this plan for the city to have urban density, growth, and development was not actually being enacted by the people making those decisions. And this is about variance requests, right? A variance is, hey, you're, you're supposed to build this size home. Well, we want to build this size, so we need a variance to change the rules for this specific lot so we can go about doing what needs uh, to, to be done. 
Mina Hawk says uh, she believes decision makers apply personal architectural preferences when rejecting proposals not intended to be dictated by cosmetic guidelines. Quote, they'll take one thing they're allowed to do and then bend you over a barrel for 10 other things. I have to go back to my architect 8 or 10 or 12 times to try and meet this moving target. Everybody who is anybody who has ever dealt with local government knows that Mina Hawk is correct. 100% correct. And this is a great, great moment to teach all of these cities and municipalities that have all these rules and try and, and, and believe themselves to be more important than the people doing the construction. Stop it. If you have a set of rules, you have a set of rules. Don't engage moving goalposts. It becomes too impossible and people don't build there. Now, if that's the objective, congratulations. But why is that the objective? Why would the objective be not to renovate these areas? Because that's gentrification and therefore that's bigoted? Say it out loud. Let's hear you be crazy. Mina Hawk is right. These these uh, uh, building inspectors and others are wrong. Make sure you know who you're voting for. Just based on that quote, I believe Mina Hawk to be absolutely correct. If you have more data for me, I'm more than willing to accept it. The popcorn moment is coming, and it will not be kind. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. I normally take this moment, I engage a story, and then I get into uh, the popcorn moment, but I don't, I'm not so sure that um, we need to waste time. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. The popcorn moment, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's a story you need to hear to believe, then grab your popcorn because there's more. You and I have both witnessed President Biden being incapable, being incompetent. But I rarely discuss the fact that this is a pathetic, pathetic man who lies what he's done, where he's been. But I have broached the idea that Joe Biden gets to as close as stolen valor as anybody I've ever seen who didn't just put on a uniform and pretend to be a soldier when they weren't. And you know that happens, and it's insane. I have never understood it. People who put on a a uniform and pretend to have served here and served there, I don't know why you would even begin to do that. I cannot understand the the complex, uh, mentally, if you will, that leads you to that point that you're going to just totally lie about who you are and what you've done and think that somehow you're not going to get found out. They always get found out. No, when I talk about stolen valor, I'm talking about Joe Biden making the claim to military parents that his son died in the line of duty. Bo Biden died of brain cancer, and he didn't die in the line of duty. It's a lie told by Joe Biden. He's told it repeatedly. It's disgusting. And for me, it's as close to uh, stolen valor as one gets. Now, he does this in other ways as well, when he goes to Maui, speaking to the people of Lahaina, who lost everything in these wildfires, we still don't know the, the number of dead. Why don't we know? 
The press is totally incurious. We've stopped paying attention to what happened. It wasn't global warming. It wasn't climate change. It was human error on human error on incompetence. Including the governor, Josh Green, who's incompetent and lied to his people saying it was about climate change. It was about an electric company that didn't have properly have the wires turned off, the power lines off as they were doing work. Storms that did come through and whipped up the winds and therefore moved these fires. You had children at home instead of school because the power was down and you blocked the road heading out of town. You prevented water from getting where it needed to be right at the time it needed to be there. And you did this because you hired incompetent people who were focused on things like equity. Equity is a killer. Cut it out. And as a message for all the people involved in DEI in Indiana, you're wrong. Stop being hateful. There's nobody that I won't debate on this subject. It's over. The data's in. You're on. I'm going to use all their terms, their buzzwords. You're on the wrong side of history. When you need a safe space where only this group of people can gather and only that group of people can gather. You're the people pushing segregation. You sound like the Klan. It's nuts. I don't want you to do it, but it happens everywhere. It happens in business and it happens in schools. If you're a university that has a a DEI office, you're doing it wrong and you're wasting the money of the people spending their money there. You're wasting the money of students and parents. Maybe you should cut that out. And I'm talking to you, Purdue, and you, IU, and you, Ball State, and you, Marion, and you, Butler. Oh, that doesn't pay to talk to Butler. They're not going to listen to what I'm saying. All of you, cut the crap out. You haven't figured out that you're wrong yet? You're wrong. Your job isn't to kowtow to the students. Your job is to educate them. And sometimes that involves, you don't know anything. You're 18 and a freshman. Sit down, shut up, and do your calculus. Uh, calculus, it's a kind of math. Ah, oh, forget it. Joe Biden often engages in stolen valor, in, in my view, the, as close as you can get to it. Joe Biden lies. Joe Biden lies a lot. But yesterday takes the cake. Yesterday, as he's in Alaska, remembering September 11th, He was in Alaska because he was coming back from Vietnam and he couldn't get to New York or D.C. And I even argued, I don't think he had to be in New York or D.C. But you went on this trip to Vietnam, you could have gone any time. It's almost as if you didn't want to be in New York or D.C. That's something you're going to have to deal with. But while he's in Alaska, speaking about September 11th, Joe Biden said this. To renew our sacred vow, never forget, never forget, we never forget. Each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looks so devastating because the way you could away from where you could stand. Joe Biden makes the claim. Never mind what I think of his gates of hell comment. Joe Biden makes the claim that the day after there he was 
at ground zero, which I'm not even sure on September 12th we referred to as ground zero just yet. There was still a massive level of reeling of, dear Lord, what just happened to us? He says, I remember standing there the next day and looking at that building, and I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. But he wasn't there the next day. He was in the Capitol the next day. He was there on the Senate floor as the Senate was in session denouncing the attacks. Now you say to me, Tony, he was there. I mean, the White House put a photo out that he was there as a senator on September 20th, just a few days later. Then he was there on September 20th, a few days later. Every time Joe Biden turns around, the story is put out by him to embellish something that didn't happen to make him seem tougher and braver and stronger than he actually is. Every story involving Joe Biden that comes out of his putrid mouth is about to make him seem tougher and stronger than he really is. Whether it's about September 11th, whether it's about a Burisma prosecutor, whether it's about corn pop, it makes no difference. Every time this lying, despicable, disgusting, worthless fraud tries to make himself something he's not. And if you want to know where America is on this, It's over it. America is over Joe Biden's false nonsense scumbag bravado. You think they've got a problem with Trump? Maybe. But that's to deny the problem they've got with this guy, who at every turn wants you to think of him as tough when he ain't tough. He's used the power of the Senate to go after people like Clarence Thomas. He used the power of the vice presidency to enrich himself and bully others. And at every turn, at every turn, he's demonstrative. At every turn, he is ego-driven. He does it with Gold Star families. He does it regarding September 11th. And after hearing that, it was the first time I said to myself, my God, the Democrats might actually replace this guy in the ticket. Because that's not something you get to lie about. That's not something you get to play tough about. That's not a way you embellish yourself. Do I believe Democrats will replace him? Yes, I do now. It's tough, it's hard, and I don't know what they're gonna do about Kamala Harris. But they're Democrats, they'll figure it out. Joe Biden is a disgusting person. Full stop. According to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the Democratic National Committee is trying to keep him uh, out and trying to shut down his campaign. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. Well, look, I'm here to tell you that the Biden people are more worried than ever about the outside forces. And they're more worried than ever because 
they've seen what Joe Biden is all about, and so is America. And even if they were to complain that some things really are unfair to the president, they've taken hold. And it's very harsh, hard to undo something that has taken hold. What Kennedy is saying is that uh, the DNC has created a class of pledged delegates called party leaders and elected officials. Essentially the same as superdelegates, remember when they said they got rid of that? Due to the amount of control the party exercises over the elected officials. This puts the DNC once again in the position of overturning the will of the voters across the United States. It is unclear how overturning the nation's majority vote can be interpreted as trusting the people. The DNC doesn't trust the people. If the DNC trusted the people, Bernie Sanders would have been the nominee for president instead of Hillary Clinton. But they don't trust the people. The DNC doesn't care about the people. The DNC does what it does in order to ensure the power is where it is. This is what happens. You've got the threat from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You have the threat from Cornell West, who has been flat out attacking the Democratic Party, calling them bigots and racists. It's, oh, it's, a, joyous, it's a joyous treat. I tell you that much. That's what's been happening. So, uh, is RFK correct here? Of course he's correct here. What comes of it? I can't imagine anything comes of it because I don't think the DNC cares. It's not in there. It's not their uh, business to care. It doesn't matter to them at all. What matters to them is that uh, they win and that's the end. They win and that's the end. He can complain all he wants. He can complain from now until the end of time. Nothing's going to change. I, last night, in a very, very rare scene for me, and the first time I've done this since I have lived in Indiana, I went to a Republican event that I wasn't speaking at. I went to the Hamilton County GOP, I think they call it the fall dinner. And the reason I went is because I love chicken served to 600 people at one time. Love it. Oh, it's delicious. The carrot cake was very good. Uh, It was the five gubernatorial candidates speaking. They weren't debating. They just had a few minutes each to speak to this room. I was there. Now, originally, I wasn't even going to comment on it. I wasn't going to talk about it because I didn't think that's what you do. But there's quotes coming from this event. Reporters were there. I was sitting at the same table with Abdul. Um, I'm going to tell you what I saw. I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, if, if I were the campaigns, I'd be, I don't know, maybe I'd be listening. I don't know. Maybe. Tony Katz, 93, WIBC. Good morning. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's always great when I, I say, hey, I, I attended this event or that event, and people are like, uh, I'll get texts. How did I miss you? What do you had you miss me? You, you, weren't, you weren't looking. I don't know. I don't know as a... A big event. Admittedly, the Hamilton County GOP put together a big event yesterday. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. 
Good to be with you. 650 some odd people there at their fall dinner as uh, the Republican gubernatorial candidates were there and all got introduced and had a chance to had a chance to speak. It was Curtis Hill, it was Eric Doden, it was Suzanne Crouch, it was Brad Chambers, it was Mike Braun. Literally in that order, they did it reverse alphabetical order. That's how they decided to do it. Lovely uh, uh, event, nice chicken, as I said, the carrot kick. Well done, well played. Um, I, uh, in in watching this field, I I have stated a couple of of things watching these Republicans. And and certainly I've stated... Uh, that Mike Braun is the front runner. Certainly, I've said that no one knows who Eric Doden is. Eric Doden, a businessman out of Fort Wayne. Certainly, I've noted that Suzanne Crouch has been a very, very good fundraiser. But Brad Chambers, the Secretary of Commerce, former Secretary of Commerce, getting into this race hurts her tremendously. And then Curtis Hill gets the activist vote giving him actually a better path than some uh, of the others. Uh, but I, I, I listened uh, to them, listened to their, their, their speeches. Um, and there's a couple of takeaways. Uh, first, uh, the only person who came with a series of concrete, hey, here's what I'm going to do, takeaways, if you will, things that you took away, here's what I'm going to do, was actually Suzanne Crouch who had the most professional of speeches. It was a political speech and a stump speech from beginning to end, but actually discussed getting rid of the income tax in the state of Indiana. Straight away, direct, focused, we're going to get rid of the income tax in the state of Indiana. Um, she, she was direct in that way. She also made mention of the fact that she wasn't able to self-fund, which was either a hit on Eric Doden or a hit on Mike Braun or a hit on Brad Chambers. Whatever it was, making the insinuation that these people are buying their way in, Brad Chambers even made note of that. Brad Chambers is a smart dude. Former Secretary of Commerce. He's a smart guy. He has had success. Um, Not the crowd where you read the speech verbatim. You needed energy up, not down. Now, Brad Chambers is introducing himself to Republicans. More of a reason for energy up, not down. It's not that his speech was bad, per se, his own story, uh, uh, how he he grew uh, the company, things he's done for Indianapolis, like during COVID, and he owns hotels and opening them up uh, for first responders. uh, So they had a place to stay during COVID. But it was not upbeat. Luckily for Brad Chambers, he was more upbeat than Eric Doden, who wants to talk about the importance of serving with a servant's heart. That's wonderful, and and that's good. And if you want to uh, um, really go grab in, in Hamilton County some level of evangelical vote, uh, that that's fine. But no one remembers what you said, Mr. Doden. No one remembers what it is you said. Which brings us to Mike Braun and Curtis Hill. Mike Braun decided that he was going to give a speech that said, if you want to know whether you're going to vote for me, look at my record. My record says everything. If you like my record as Senate, you're going to like my record in in the Senate. You're going to like my record as as governor. 
Now, he could have said that and walked off the stage in 35 seconds. Instead, he spent a grand, uh, 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 quite a few minutes with a bit of rambling and grandstanding. Not having a focus. Just trusting that you could be folksy and homespun, and that's enough. I put forth to you it is not enough in this field. Curtis Hill made sure that the social conservatives knew that he was the guy. Curtis Hill made a joke about Mitch McConnell, about, you know, the freezing. He actually did that on stage and made it a joke about Mitch McConnell that made you go, oh, my gosh. And it was. It was an, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe you just did that. But, like, it's to tell us you're not going to have a Mitch McConnell moment, that's not focusing on the task at hand. That was, hey, I'm going to get the zinger in, but it's not a zinger against any of your competitors. Nobody thinks that anybody running for governor of Indiana on the Republican side is too old. It was a joke for the sake of the joke, and with all due respect, I came to hear what you're going to do for me. I came to hear what you're going to do for me. If you ask me in terms of policy, who took that night, it was Suzanne Crouch. The problem is, is that Suzanne Crouch, it wasn't a question of polish, it was a question of focus. If you were going to end your speech, you know, and onward to victory and put your fist in the air, um, that's, that's a little hackneyed. It is. Uh, and I, I am I did not leave believing that the vast majority of of the people in the room have faith that she is going to get through a primary, and that she can actually beat Jennifer McCormick, who most probably will be the Democratic uh, nominee. I didn't leave with that. Um, I I believe that any of these five is a better choice than Jennifer McCormick. I believe that giving the governor's mansion to the Democratic Party of Indiana is a pretty ugly proposition based on how the Democratic Party acts, not necessarily specific Democrats. I would take any one of these five over over Jennifer McCormick. But after watching these five, I understand why when it comes to the governor's race, nobody cleared the field. I understand why people, even uh, at as late as last month, got into this race. Because it's wide open. The governor's race on the Republican side is still wide open.